Good morning. Good morning. Man, I am just humbled to be here today and amazed. How, how many people in here, uh, I'm sure there's a few, came into this building when it used to be Troutman's and you bought like boots or pants or something here? Several of you. Well, I am just blown away by this. I mean, for, for those of you who are in here who have worked tirelessly day, for the past almost year and a half to two years, hours and hours and hours, this is why we've done what we've done right here. And it is so humbling to be a part of what God is doing. Now, ultimately, this is not about a building. This is not about us. And ultimately, this is not even about Mother's Day. This is about Christ and what he's done for us on the cross And so I would encourage you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in those, maybe in a chair close to you underneath. Uh, You can look in the index at the beginning and find where Ephesians is. And we have been walking through the book of Luke, but we're going to take a break from that. By the way, the normal way that we study the Bible, the normal way that we preach through the Bible is going through whole books of the Bible. Uh, we, we feel like that's the best way for us to learn and comprehend what's going on and get the, uh, the original sense and the heart of the Scripture, but today we're, we're going to uh, take a break from Luke, and because it is Mother's Day, I, I felt it appropriate for us to spend a Sunday thinking about mothers. And I, as I asked the question, okay, what is the best way that we can honor mothers today? I felt like the best way that we could do that is to really, for me to encourage the men in the room to be who God has designed you to be. I felt like if we do that, and we do that well as men, we're going to honor our wives, we're going to honor our mothers best. And so that's why we're going to Ephesians chapter 5. In fact, if I was going to give a title to the, this sermon, it would come straight from Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And let me start off by saying that this sermon, I am preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody else in this room today. Uh, This this passage is something that that I need to hear because uh, often this is what I do. This is my tendency. I, I tend to compare myself to other guys that I know. And if you do that, it's pretty easy to find some other guy that, that's more of a deadbeat than yourself. <laughs> and, and so you can, you can feel good about yourself if you compare yourself to other guys. And, and I find myself doing that all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay. I compare myself to other guys. But the Bible doesn't allow us to do that. Who are we supposed to compare ourselves as men? As we, as we think about how we ought to love our wives what do we compare ourselves to? It's not other guys that we know. The standard is, that's not the standard. The standard is Christ and how he loved the church. And that should overwhelm all of us. I know this week as I've studied this passage, I've been somewhat crushed by it. And let me, let me also just mention a, a few other people in this room. First of all, if you're single, don't tune me out right now. Okay, if you're single, this, is, this passage is, is just as much for you, because what Paul is describing here, if, if you're a, a young man or if you're a single guy, this passage is for you because this is, what, uh, this is your role, this is God, what God has designed you for, 
And if you're not married, it may manifest itself different, but you're still called to love and to lead. If you're, if you're a, a woman who is single, this passage is for you. If you're, if you're a young woman, this is, this is who you should be looking for in a husband. Okay, if Hannah's in the nursery right now, and, and I, I joke with her all the time, and she's allowed to date, she's 15 right now, and I tell her she can date when she's 30 if she's got a chaperone. And, but seriously, my message to you young ladies, and this is what you're going to see in this passage, don't settle. Look for a man who, who strives to be this guy that we're talking about. And if you're a young man, this is what I'm telling my daughters, look for this guy. You need to look for a woman who is going to encourage you to be like this. So this passage is not just for, for married guys and married women, but it's for all of us. We all need to hear this because it, it impacts how we live and, and who we ought to be. I think there's lessons for all of us. I also want to just address, I know that for some of you in this room, Mother's Day is not a celebration. Uh, for some of you, Mother's Day is a reminder of some grief that you're going through because maybe... Maybe you've, you've lost your mother due to death or, or just a broken relationship. Or maybe you've wanted to be a mother for a long time and just God hasn't given that to you in this, in this stage of life yet. Or, or maybe you're a mother who has a, a child that you wish was sitting by you right now, but they're a prodigal. And today is just a reminder of the grief that you're going through. My prayer and my hope this morning as we look at this passage for you is that this would be a reminder of God's grace, that God's grace is sufficient, and that there is great joy at the foot of the cross, that, that ultimately it's not being a mother or, or, or having a healthy relationship with your mother that completes you. It's Christ who completes you. And there is great joy available to you because of that. And so with this, uh, men, there... To understand your role as a man, I think we need to go back to the very beginning and figure out, okay, the origins of what, where your role came from. Because there's a lot of misconceptions out there when it comes to gender roles as far as when it, like marriage, gender roles within marriage. In fact, you might have come into this room like many people in our culture and think, okay, there really is no distinction between the roles of men and women in marriage. And in fact, there's a lot of people that ridicule those who look in the Bible and see some kind of distinction between men and women. Now, on the flip side of that, there's also, and first of all, if that's you coming in, I hope that I, I break some of those misconceptions that you might have. And what you're going to see in this text is that God has a better plan than any of us could ever come up with on our own for men and women. Now, some of you have been raised in the church, though, and you recognize, yes, there's a, there's a difference that men are from Mars and women are from, from Venus, and there's a difference between men and women, but you look at the roles more of a, as a job description. It's a, it's a to-do list. It's a check. Uh, this is what I can do, and this is what I can't do, and so you, you approach it very pragmatically, and I promise you, if that's your approach, man, your, your wife is not going to feel your love, okay? This is much more about an identity. This is who you are or who you should become. And it is a very high standard that we're, we're called to. And so the, the origin of these roles ultimately is founded in creation. And I want you to know this. The, these origins, they were around before the fall. 
Before Genesis 3, before sin entered into the world, these roles existed. And so we can never say that, okay, the roles in marriage only exist because of sin or because of the fall. They, they came to because of some cultural thing or, or they came in history at some point. No, they were foundationally before that. They came at creation and ultimately they're founded in the Trinity. And so you've got God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons different roles within the Trinity. And so you see in Scripture that God the Father has authority over God the Son. Jesus said, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. And then you also see that the Son has authority over the Spirit. God the Son has authority over God the Spirit. Uh, Jesus said, if, if I do not go, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, look, if I don't go, if, I don't, if I'm not ascended back into heaven, if I don't go away, the Helper talking about the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will, I will send him to you, and he will not speak on his own authority. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so in the Trinity, you see one God, three persons, distinct roles, all of them uh, equally in, uh, in value and in dignity, but different roles. Paul understood this. The Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the Ephesians understood this. In another letter that he wrote to Corinth, 1 Corinthians 11.3, he said this. He says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And so again, equal in dignity, equal in, in value, but different roles. And God's goal in creation, God's goal in redemption is to glorify himself. He created all of us to, to make himself known so that we'd see and we would behold his beauty, his glory, and we would worship him. And so he creates humans in his image. We were meant to be a reflection of his glory. And so that it makes sense that he would create us with specific roles to reflect the Trinity. And so let's go back to the source, because I want you to see this. So keep a finger in Ephesians 5, but I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 2. And I want you to see this. Genesis chapter 2, starting in, in verse 15. And so the Lord God took the man, and he put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So right away, even before marriage, there's this role that Adam is given to, to work and to keep, to protect. He's supposed to be a protector and a worker. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so God says, look, you've got one rule that you need to follow. One rule that shows me that you understand your role, that I am God and you are to be a reflection of me. And so you need to be obedient. You are not your own God. And of course, they would break that one rule. But verse 14, before we ever get to that, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Which, this is the first time in Scripture that God says something is not good. Uh, through creation, we've, we've heard he creates day one. After day one, it is good. After day two, it is good. It was good. He saw everything was good. But he gets here and he says, it was not good for man to be alone. Now, this does not mean that if you're not married, something is wrong with you. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. But he has created us to be a reflection of his glory. And so he said, look, you need a helper suitable or a helper fit for you. 
Now out of the ground, Lord God, had formed every beast of the field and every bird of heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And so God gave the authority to the man to to name all of the animals. And so you see the leadership role that he's given there. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not one found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of the ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Remember that verse. It's going to come up again here in a little bit in Ephesians. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And so we see that, pi- that picture in Genesis of what happens at creation, that these roles are, are assigned, that they're equal, men and women are equal, created both in God's image, equal in character, equal in, in intelligence, equal in dignity, equal in morality. And helper does, here does not mean that they're like your assistant or, or your, your servant or, or your minion or a, a subordinate. That is not what he means here by helper. God describes himself as a helper in other places in Scripture. Helper means one who complements. They're equal in value, yet different roles. And so men are, here we see, to be leaders. That's part of our role. They were created first for a reason. They're responsible to work and to keep the garden. They were responsible and given authority to, to name the animals. And so understanding your role, men, will impact all of your life, including how you love your wife. This is why Ephesians is so important because what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 5 is he lays it out for you and says, okay, this is how you ought to lead, men. This is, how you, this is what it looks like to lead and to love your wife. And so we're going to read Ephesians 5 starting in verse 25. We're going to go through verse 33 and then uh, we're going to break down. If you're taking notes, you're going to see four specific ways that Paul calls men to love their wives. All right, so let me pray, and then we're going to read through this. Father, help us right now to set our minds on things of your spirit. Help us be men who lead our families well so that we would honor our wives and our, our mothers. Help the, the, the young men in this room to practice loving by loving their mothers like you love the church. Thank you for your word, Lord. Use it to transform our hearts through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. But we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so, what does leadership look like for the husband? Four ways. Number one, you ought to love your wife. Love her graciously. If you're taking notes, it's up there. Love her graciously. And so that means, when I think of how Christ loves us, the church, this is the first thing that should come to your mind. He loves us graciously. He loves us not according to your performance. Praise God. And so we ought to love our wives, not according to how well they're cooking for us, not according to how well they're taking care of us when we're sick, not according to, to how well they keep the house cleaned or how well they, they prepare the house so that when we come home from work, it's, it's calm and, and peaceful. We should love our wives regardless of how their attitude is towards us, whether they're tired and cranky or hormonal or whatever. We love our wives because think about how Christ loves us. And if, if I'm honest here, my, my pride gets in the way often because this is what I find myself doing with, with my wife Cameron. She, if she's pleasing me, I pursue her. But if for some reason she's disappointing me, I distance myself. Praise God, Jesus does not treat us that way. You think about Jesus. He died for sinners. He didn't die for you because you were a good person. He didn't come to earth and, and, and live the life he did so that only those who really tried to be a good person would go to heaven. We, over the last few weeks, I've been knocking on doors. In fact, our missional community this, did this past Tuesday. We, we went out to a neighborhood and we just knocked on doors and inviting people to, to, to church. And, and when opportunities arose, we talked to them about, about Jesus. And I got the opportunity a few times over the past few weeks to to be able to ask people, do you go to church anywhere? And they would usually reply, yes, I go somewhere, but I haven't been there for a long time. And, and then often they would, and so I would follow up that question and just say, look, if uh, in your experience at church, would you, uh, how do you know that your sins are forgiven and that you'll go to heaven? And they would stumble over that question, but eventually all of them, almost like 90% of them at least, would say something to the matter of fact that, well, I've tried to be a good person. And so that's why I think that I'll, be in heaven. And maybe you've walked in the room and that's how you would answer that response. But the Bible says, makes it very clear that nobody is good enough. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody has been good enough. It doesn't matter how many old ladies you've crossed, crossed the street. It doesn't matter how much money you've given to the poor. It doesn't matter how many times you've come to church. None of that meets the expectations that God gives us to be holy as he is holy. All of us have gone our, our own way and said, look, I want to be God. We've all rebelled against God and said, look, I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want to listen to you, God. I want to I make up my own rules. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so none of us 
are good enough. But the good news of the gospel, and this is different from every other religion, because every other religion says be a good person so that you can earn heaven. But the Bible is totally different. It says, look, none of you are good, but praise be to God that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners. He came and he died for sinners. And the apostle Paul got this. Paul, Paul knew this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And if you want to turn there, I would encourage you to do that. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, you've got to go right in your Bible if you don't know where 1 Timothy is. 1 Timothy chapter 1, he's writing, Paul's writing a, a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. He's raised this guy up. He's discipled him. He loves Timothy uh, in an immense way, but he's very real. He's just very, very raw with Timothy, very honest with him. And he says this, he says, Timothy, I thank him, he's talking about Jesus, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our, our Lord, because he judged me faithfully and he appointed me to his service. And I want you to get the sense of how the tone of Paul's voice here, he, what Paul's doing here is like, I can't believe he's chosen me to be his servant. I can't believe that he's chosen me of all people he's chosen me to serve him and to, to be called faithful. Why me? Why would he do this? He goes on in verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor, an insolent opposite opponent. And if you know Paul's history, he was a Pharisee and he hated Christians. He hated everything about Christians. He wanted to crush this rebellion. He persecuted anybody that said they were a follower of Christ who would go after them and kill them. And so Paul is looking back at his history and he, and he thinks, gosh, why me, Lord? Why did you choose me? I've persecuted you. I've insult, I was an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, the saying, this saying, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In other words, what I'm about to say to you, you should fully lean on, fully rely on what this, because if, this is ultimate truth. This is the ultimate truth in all of the universe is what he's about to say. He says this. He said, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save those who are good people. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? He came in the world to save those who go to the church all the time. Nope, it doesn't say that either. He came into the world to save those who... Give a lot of money to the poor. No, it says, he came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Again, this is the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote half the New Testament, planted churches all over the world. And he says, I am the foremost of sinners, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, if he can save me, he can save anybody. If he can change me, he can change anybody. And then he just breaks out in praise and worship. He says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
You see what Paul does there? He sees his own sinfulness and he compares it to God's mercy and grace and he just explodes in worship. He recognizes God's love for him. And here's the thing. Until you recognize God's love for you, you're not going to be able to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Paul got it because he had experienced God's love and God's mercy in his own life. You see, Christ is not just our example. He is the source of our ability to be able to love other people. And so number one, love her graciously. Number two, love her sacrificially. Love her sacrificially. Love will cost you something if you're going to love like Christ loved the church. Love is going to cost you something. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Notice he doesn't say he gave stuff to the church. It wasn't about him giving what he had. He gave himself to the church. And so it's not about you making a bunch of money to be able to provide a nice house and a nice car and, and clothing and vacations for your wife. That's not what they're longing for. They want you. And that's what Jesus models for us. He doesn't just give us his stuff. He gives, them, gives us himself. And this is more than just us stepping in front of, being willing to step in front of a bullet for our wife. Even an unbeliever is willing to do that for somebody he loves. To love like Christ is to daily lay down your life for her good. To sacrifice means this. It means to put her first to passionately protect and to provide for her both physically but also spiritually and emotionally, relationally. And so here's a couple of heart check questions. How often do you ask yourself, and we should do this every day, men, how can I serve my wife today? How can I serve my wife today? Another diagnostic question. Ask yourself this, men. What right now is pulling you away from giving your wife affection and attention? What is it that you need to give up right now? Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's you're just too focused on your job. You see, the value of something is always determined by what you're willing to give up for it. What you're willing to pay for it. And so, kids today, really, every day should be Mother's Day, if we're honest, because they do so much. But today, kids, you, you've got a special day where you show honor to your mom, and this is, how, this is the best way you can show that you love your mom, that, you, that she's valuable to you. She's going to look at you and say, okay, what are you willing to give up for me? What are you willing to sacrifice for me? Because that's what determines how much you value something. Think about what Jesus did for us. I mean, he left heaven where he enjoyed a perfect environment, where there was no sin. He had a perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit for all of eternity. They had enjoyed this perfect relationship and he chose to leave the glories of heaven to be born as a lowly human, as a baby, naked, placed in a 
stinking feeding trough, was raised by a poor carpenter, grew up, was homeless, had a ragtag group of followers, tax collectors and sinners who abandoned him in his greatest time of need, was ridiculed by the religious leaders, was mocked by them and spit on, would be tortured and ultimately crucified. And he chose all of this and ultimately his heavenly father, he chose this to give up all of this to take the wrath that we deserve. Even though he was sinless, he was perfect, never, never committed a crime against his heavenly father and said, but he stands in our place on the cross and says, I will absorb your wrath, Father, for them because I love them that much. That's how much I value them. Love her sacrificially. Number three, love her redemptively. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave her himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Your desire as a husband should be that your wife is transformed regularly, daily, more and more into the image of Christ. And so I would encourage you to ask these kind of diagnostic questions of yourself. Do I faithfully pray for her that she would glorify God and fully know His love and grace? Do I faithfully pray for her? Secondly, do I faithfully lead her to God's Word where she can find hope and, and joy and satisfaction, love and grace? Do I... Do I Encourage her to actively be involved in a church family that's going to love her and support her and teach her. Do I constantly remind her of the gospel of grace and of God's love towards her? Love her redemptively. Encourage her in a relationship with Christ. I would encourage you to set aside time. Make it a, a regular part of your rhythm of life to spend time together reading God's word, and in prayer. That alone may transform your life. If you get nothing from the sermon, maybe just that would transform your marriage and your life. Spend regular time praying and reading God's word together. So love her redemptively. And then fourthly, love her as your own body. Love her as your own body. Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He quotes Genesis there. He says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so Paul uses this illustration Uh, several times in Scripture that he compares the church to Christ's body, that when you rely fully on Christ for salvation, you follow Him as Lord, you've trusted in Him, you've repented of your sins, and when that happens, a miracle happens, 
You're forgiven of your sins and, and you are united with Christ spiritually. You're united with him in such a way that it's like you're part of his body, which means you become inseparable from Christ. There is an everlasting oneness, a connection, an intimacy, and a unity that you enjoy with Christ. And so marriage is supposed to be a reflection of this relationship. Paul is saying, husbands, love your wife because she is your body. She's part of you. You are one flesh. You can't be separated. You are more connected to your spouse than those who share your own DNA. You are to cherish and nourish her because of this. And so you got to learn, learn her love language. Learn, I mean, maybe it's gifts or just flowers, okay? When she's not, not just on Mother's Day, but when she's not expecting it. Or maybe for her, it's, it's acts of service. You go home and you, you just clean the kitchen. Or maybe it's time spent, quality time, where you, you just carve out time and you say, look, you are the most important thing to me. Do it during like an important basketball game that you're going to watch. Say, look, I don't need to see that. I want to be with you. Spend some quality time. Sacrifice what you want to do uh, in your flesh so that you can give. You, this is what sacrifice really is. It's giving up something you love for something you love even more. Okay? And so sacrifice for her. Maybe it's just writing her a note. I would encourage you, handwrite a letter to your wife. I did this, this past week, it was, it was so cheesy, but it, I mean, it, I, I hand wrote a letter to her, to my wife, just to encourage her, and, and then I folded it like a middle school person, like in triangles, and I gave it, I just handed it to her, and I didn't think a whole lot of it, but she thought it was amazing, in fact, she would, and this embarrassed me a little bit, she shared it with, I think, Julie at school, <laughs> and, but I mean, she thought that was amazing, but write notes to your wife, find ways that you can cherish her and nourish her. And on the flip side of that, when you harm her, when you hurt her, you're also you're harming yourself. You're hurting your own body. When you, when you fail to wash her in the word of God, it's like overlooking your own hygiene. Love her as your own body. Are you overwhelmed yet? <laughs> if you're a man and you're not overwhelmed, maybe you weren't listening. <laughs> Um, I, I, I think about this passage, and I, gosh, I, I look at this, and I know that I am not where I should be, what God has called me to be. But you know what? I also think that's exactly where Paul wants us to be, a little overwhelmed, because it's when we're overwhelmed by the standard that God has set for us that we start becoming desperate for Christ's help in our lives. I think about the Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 7. I've been studying that a little bit this week. And again, the Apostle Paul looked at himself as, uh, as the foremost of all sinners, right? We read that earlier. In chapter 7 of Romans, he, he, there's like this war going on in his mind. He says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. And he calls himself a wretched man that I am. Who can save me from this body of death? This is the Apostle Paul saying this. And thank goodness that flows right into chapter 8. There is therefore no con now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul got it. He recognized when he compared himself to the standard that God gives us, 
he became desperate and said, look, I need Christ more than I need anything else. And if I don't set my mind daily and often hourly on the things of the Spirit, I'm going to veer off. If I just try to coast, I know that my life is going to coast in a real bad path that's going to lead to destruction and it's going to lead to death. And so I know that I need to be desperate, setting my mind every day, every hour on the things of Christ. So don't neglect going to church. Don't neglect getting involved in missional community where you're going to have support. You're going to be able to ask those tough questions. Don't neglect getting involved in a one-to-one relationship where you can keep each other accountable. Don't neglect spending time with your spouse, reading the word and praying together. Don't neglect spending time daily being fed by the word. Don't expect to be fueled to be like Christ with with just fumes that you've taken in a week ago from the Word. That's not a, coming on Sunday morning is not enough to fuel you for the whole week. You need to be in the Word daily, sometimes hourly. Don't neglect it. And wives, be gracious with your husbands. Paul ends this passage by saying, and, and wives, respect your husbands. They're not going to be where Paul and where God has called them to be right now. In fact, they're not fully going to be there until Christ comes back. And so be gracious with them. Encourage them in this. Help them. Be what God's called them to be. Pray for them. Let's pray right now that God would help us with this. Father, you have given us more grace than we can even imagine. You have given us what we do not deserve, and you have held your wrath and given us mercy. You have not given us what we do deserve, and we thank you for that on this Mother's Day, and I pray and I plead with you as we walk out of here that we would set our minds on things of the Spirit, that as we move into a time of communion and worship, that our minds and our hearts would be lifted to you because of what you have done for us, that we would, we would just be amazed by your love for us and it would overflow into our relationships and it would overflow into our worship towards you, that we would sing loud. We would, we would just be in awe of who you are. We need your spirit to transform our hearts from death to life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're here as a visitor, if you're new...